Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. We are pushing through the month of July. We're already, this is crazy, we're already almost one week into the month of July. And we are, I guess we could say, about halfway at this point on our top 25 Bengals of 2023 list. We talked about Ted Karras at number 15 yesterday. We already said who number 14 was. We even talked about him a little bit, and that's left guard Coriel Volson, who is not a rookie anymore. We're going to talk about him. We're going to read another Bengals fan story. Uh, hopefully, we'll see if it follows up yesterday's story. Yesterday was was pretty dope. We had uh, Sean Tyler from England, so we'll, we'll see what, what today's story can say about that. We're going to have all of that, and we're going to continue setting the stage for the rest of our Top 25 Bengals. Welcome to another Thursday Top 25 edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast. Muhammad Ahmad and Andrew Gillis here with you, and we talked about the fan stories. Guess what? You can be one of those fan stories. You can submit it anytime and any way you please, either by emailing us at stripes at cleveland.com or you can go to strictlystripes.com and fill out the form at the top of the page. You'll see the link. It says, well, I'm a Bengals fan. Tell us your story. Very easy. Just got to tell us how, when, where, and why you became a fan. Uh, and we've read, this will probably be our sixth response today. And we're going to keep going through them all the way through training camps. We'd love to hear your story. So, Andrew, I kind of teased uh, Cordell Volson yesterday a little bit. Not, I wasn't making fun of him, but like teasing the idea of, uh, you know, talking about him on the podcast. And I was saying that with respect to Ted Karras, because, you know, we had Ted Karras at 15, and then you got Cordell Volson at 14, which makes you wonder, like, okay, should Volson be lower? Should Karras be higher? Um, and, and I know that's a little bit nitpicky. We already kind of talked about it, but to just kind of getting into the heart of the list here, uh, I'm looking at where you had Cordell Volson. I'm trying to see. You had him all the way at 18. I had him at 12. So we had very, very polar views on, uh, you know, where Volson should be on this list. Before I kind of give my justification, why did you have Volson four spots below where we had him? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm actually fairly high on, on Cordell this year. Um, you know, I, I, the offensive line, if, if you can kind of just judge by my rankings, I, I'm actually a big fan of. Um, you know, I had Orlando Brown in the top 10. I had Alex Kappa in the top 10. Uh, I had Ted Karras at uh, 14, um, and then Jonah and uh, Cordell were, were down the list a little bit at uh, 17 and 18. But that doesn't mean, you know, I'm I'm actually down on them. I actually think Cordell's it could be in line for a for a big, you know, sophomore year. Um, you know, it's just it's so hard to come into the NFL and 
play a play a style of game that is conducive to success, uh, especially on an offensive line where you know you have a new center, you have a new right guard, you have a new right tackle, and oh yeah, by the way, they haven't really played together, let alone in the you know preseason training camp, whatever. So you know, I, I look at Cordell and I see a player with not unlimited potential, but a player with a very, very high ceiling because he's so big at guard. He's got such long arms. And I, and I just think that he's a really smart, tough, strong football player. You know, some of the guys have joked when you, whenever you talk to him that he's got, you know, that, that country strength to him. And I, I think he's got a really high ceiling this year in terms of kind of becoming, you know, one of the better guards in the AFC or in the league even, um, you know, but for now I I'm okay with leaving him down on the list a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think that there are some other guys who, who frankly have earned, you know, being higher and, but, you know, I, I wrote today that I thought Cam Taylor Britt had the highest ceiling of anybody to kind of make a big jump. I think Cordell Volson's probably number two. Yeah. And I think that, so that point you made about him having a, a chance to make a big jump that that's why I had him at number 12. Maybe it was a little bit high because I will admit I did have him above Chidobe, Awuzie, and Evan McPherson. I think you could have him above McPherson. I, I think that's okay. I don't know if I would have put him above Chidobe, Awuzie, just because, you know. And I think maybe my judgment was clouded by Awuzie's ACL injury. And, of course, he's on the list, by the way. He's just higher on the list. I, obviously, you guys know that, but I'm just giving clarity here. This is my list we had before we aggregated the list that – me, Mike, and Andrew had. I know Mike is obviously uh, no longer with us. For those who don't know, he moved on to another job. But uh, he had him at 15. So he had him probably the closest out of all of us to number 14 on the list where he had him at 15. You know, he had him, uh, let's see, he had him below Joe Mixon, which was interesting. So he had uh, Joe Mixon ahead of him. He had Ted Karras ahead of him. So I guess if Mike was with us, he would maybe give a justification for why you put Ted Karras above Cord- Cordell Volson instead of the other way around, which is what it ended up becoming or why you put Joe Mixon above him versus having Mixon all the way at like, you know, uh, number 17 where we had him, you know, right below Evan McPherson. So interestingly, uh, we had some very, you know, most of our picks up to this point have been pretty spot on in terms of like not being too far off without any outliers. Um, this was not the case. Obviously yours was a little bit of an outlier and I don't say it in a bad way because I do get where you're coming from. Like you, you, you laid out the case for having a brand new offensive line last year, being a rookie, and let's not forget, I wasn't there for this game. I, funny enough, hadn't started uh, our job with Cleveland.com yet, but I was watching that game and Casey Hayward. I mean, you want to talk about like a rude awakening? That was like a rude welcome to the NFL type awakening. So I don't want to hold that against him too much because when it's your first game against a potential future Hall of Famer. Um, that's tough. Uh, and you know, I'm just, I know the PFF stuff is, is very sticky, especially, I get it, especially when you're talking about offensive linemen, but other than that Dallas game where he probably had the best game of the season, you know, the week after Hayward gave him the business, he didn't really start to pick up until probably December against Tampa Bay against new England. I I think that's really when you saw him. Um, of course his, his run blocking was a big reason why, like you look at Joe Mixon's 100-plus yard game in Buffalo. I mean, say what you want about Buffalo's defense. I think a lot of that came from Cornell Volson's blocking. So, yeah, it's um, he just had a weird season. I'm not saying in a bad way. I think it was just a lot of growing pains, a lot of growing pains with new players. But like you said, I mean, I know he's listed at six foot six, but like I'm 
he's really six foot seven, right? Like, isn't that what he says? Yeah, he, he he's actually, six seven. I actually think he's listed at six seven. Well, PFF says six foot six, but they can be off with that sometimes. So I think the Bengals have him at six seven. But dude, I mean, with those cleats on, I mean, you're pretty much like Orlando Brown size. So imagine the left side. Like if if you're on the left side of the offensive line, you know, you're blocking against Miles Garrett, you're blocking against Casey Hayward, T.J. Watt, like guys that traditionally line up on that side of the defensive line. I mean, they got to go against like two six seven six eight behemoths because don't forget Brown is six eight, probably six nine on a good day, like. That's a lot. And again, we know what Brown is capable of. We're going to talk about him later when we have his turn on the podcast. But like, I'm not saying Volson is going to be a pro bowler tomorrow. I'm not saying he's going to be an all pro tomorrow. But he can get there. He can get there with experience. He can get there with learning. He can get there with building off this rookie year. And I think this is maybe where I'm a little bit wrong. You told me if I feel like I'm, I'm wrong when I say this. Maybe him being next to Orlando Brown clouded my judgment. When I say that, I feel like because I knew he was going to be playing next to him, I was like, oh, yeah, he's going to be so much better because of that. Did that cloud my judgment or is there maybe a little bit of truth there? But did what did cloud your judgment play, play next to Jonah or like ha- Orlando? Like having, having Cordell Volson at 12, I think part of that is because I knew he'd get a lot of help from Orlando Brown next to him. Like, was that a, a cloud of judgment or is there a lot of truth to that? Like, I, you know, I, I, I think that it's a reasonable assumption. I, but I would counter with even Orlando Brown doesn't know, you know, I, I asked him that exact question uh, at one of his first availabilities of the off season. And, you know, I asked Orlando, you know, this is the biggest guard you've ever played with because Orlando's played ne- next to some really, really good guards in his career. Joe Tooney in Kansas city, uh, Marshall Yonda, you know, maybe Hall of Famer and from Baltimore, like probably Hall of Famer from Baltimore. You know, he's played with some really good guards. They just haven't been that big. So, you know, I asked him, how, you know, do you have to overcompensate when you have a guy who has that long of arms? Like, can you do your, does your, you know, does your blocking style change just because you know some of that area is covered? And he's like, you know, that's a good question. I'll let you know in training camp. Uh, so I can't wait to ask him that because I'm curious. Um, but I, I don't know how it's going to work. I think it's going to be a unique look. I mean, some guys, some guys might just blend better next to each other than others. So we'll have to see. Um, I, I'm curious to see how that looks. I think it's a bit premature to say that, you know, Orlando is going to carry Cordell or anything like that, or, you know, Cordell is going to even be boosted by, uh, by court by Cordell is going to be boosted by Orlando. I'm just, I'm curious to see what that matchup looks like because if that, if those two work together well on the left side of the offensive line, I mean that's that's going to be a problem for opposing defenses, and that's going to be a good problem for Frank Pollock because at that point it's a matter of these guys are so good. Actually, it's not going to be a good problem. It's just going to be a good thing. Like these guys are so good. What do you, you know? How do you use them? Hypothetically speaking, of course, because like you said, and like Orlando said, and I'm sure like Cordell would probably agree with. We really just don't know yet. Um, but you also got to remember, he's also got Ted Karras on the other side next to him. And I know we already talked about uh, Ted Karras. He had his turn on the podcast yesterday, so I don't want to beat on a dead horse with this. But I just wonder, too, like if, if Ted Karras, at the very least, plays like he played last year, which was fine. Like if, if Ted Karras has a repeat of what he did last year in 2023, Zach Taylor and Frank Pollock and Brian Callahan will be more than happy. I'm sure they would want more out of him because, of course, I mean, with what Joe Burrow's been through, like, I mean, Joe Burrow, in terms of pass blocking, I think deserves the world at this point with the suffering he's endured 
since he literally came to Cincinnati with that, you know, offensive line blocking he's had. But, you know, I wonder too, like, will Volson be gifted by having a, a Pro Bowl left tackle and a solid veteran center next to him? I don't know. And again, I think maybe I was thinking about all of that to go back to my ranking. And I said, okay, he's got so much help next to him. Not to take away from his talent. I, I figured rather than take away from his talent, you know, it would only add to and supplement his talent. So, you know, maybe that's where I feel like I kind of had to temper those expectations and why I think, you know, where you and Mike Adam kind of brought it more towards the middle at uh, number 14 where we have him, which I think is very, again, it's it's an interesting ranking to me. But I just wonder, though, like, I know, so it's funny, we talked about Ted Karras being the best offensive lineman last year, at least among starters. I wonder, and again, I don't want to get too much on a tangent here, but like, you know, can, just based on the ranking we have, like, can Cordell Volson outplay Ted Karras? Not t- to take away from Ted Karras. Like I said, he's good. He's on the list for a reason. But I wonder, though, if, if this kid can have such a big jump that he outplays him. Like, do you see him outplaying any of his peers, like, not named Orlando Brown? Um, You know, I, th- it would be hard for him to, it, you know, it's it's hard to kind of compare him to, to Jonah Williams, I think. Um you know, and, and even to a lesser extent, Ted, um, you know, and I, I don't know if, if that's necessarily a fair question just because, you know, Alex Kappa is, is a really good guard and, and I have exactly. a lot of confidence in him in, in 2023. Um, so that's, I mean, that's a high bar to clear just in general right off the hop. But then, right. I mean, you're talking about a, a center and you're talking about two tackles. It's, I mean, the offensive line is a more nuanced position than, you know, just kind of lumping all five guys together. So I, I don't know. That, that, to me, feels a little bit like a stretch. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. And, you know, obviously Alex Kappel's on this list, too, and he is higher on this list for a reason. Obviously, there's a reason why him and Orlando Brown are above him. And, you know, like I said, I, I think the offensive line rankings are perfect. Again, I don't want to give away if Brown is higher than Kappa or vice versa, but, you know, with what we know so far, Brown-Kappa, Cordell Volson, Ted Karras, Lyle Collins, or I'm sorry, Cordell Volson, Ted Karras, Jonah Williams, Lyle Collins. I think no matter where you have them, like whether you have Collins at 23, Williams at 20, you know, Karras at 17, Volson at 10, and then Brown and Cap or wherever, that is all subjective. But I think it's fair enough to say that what we have so far with the offensive line rankings makes the most sense. Like, and I think the fact that we have all five offensive linemen on this list including Cordell Volson, who only has one year of experience in the NFL. That's a good thing. Like, Cordell Volson is not only on this list. Like, that's a big deal in and of itself. He's on this list at number 14 ahead of three of his teammates who were all starters last year. The Bengals' offensive line is in very good shape. And, you know, I don't want to maybe raise expectations or get people really hyped up, but I think once we get to Alex Kapp and Orlando Brown later on the list, it just might prove the hypothesis that this is going to be the best offensive line blocking, blocking the Bengals have not only had in the Joe Burrow era, the best they've had since Andrew Whitworth was in his second to last year in Cincinnati. And I think it was 2015 um, before he went to the Rams a few years later. Stay with us. We are going to read uh, an interesting Bengals fan story. And we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, Bengals ring of honor because I don't know if there's some honor in there right now. There might be some dishonor. We're going to talk about what that is and why when we return right here on the podcast. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. Talked a lot about Cordell Volson 
and the optimism that he brings to, I think, a very well-built offensive line for Cincinnati. Before we get into reading our fun Bengals fan story, I want to remind you guys to sign up for our Strictly Stripes newsletter by going to cleveland.com slash newsletters. It's free to sign up, and it's very easy. And, of course, more importantly, Andrew, I'll let you take the lead on this. Cincinnati Football Insider. I'm going to say it again. Cincinnati Football Insider. You might be tired of me talking about this, but I promise you, once you sign up, you'll know exactly what I was getting at. And, Andrew, tell everybody what I'm getting at with Cincinnati Football Insider. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the number one thing with Cincinnati Football Insider, like you're saying, is, I, you know, we, we've kind of talked about it as a, you know, hey, here's a great idea to, you know, here's what's going on, here what's going on with the Bengals and, and everything like that. And that's obviously true. But the number one thing that I'd be interested in if I was a Bengals fan was avoiding everything that's going on on social media right now. I would I wouldn't want to have to deal with rate limits on Twitter or finding all <laughs> of you know my favorite Bengals writers or whatever on threads or Blue Sky or Mastodon or Facebook, whatever's going on now. <laughs> There's just too many things. So if you just want to cut out all that clutter and kind of find out what's going on directly from the sources uh, directly to your phone. I mean, this is the easiest way to do it. It's the simplest way to do it. Um, it would add, take a lot of stress out of your life. Trust me. I know, you know, trying to follow uh, all different types of writers and all different kinds of teams and reporters and all these kind of different things on these different social media sites has been a pain in my ass. And I would hope it's not for you. So uh, yeah, I, I would heavily recommend it just to, if, if for nothing else, cut the line, don't deal with social media and just hear it straight from us right to your phone. Yeah, we, I don't, this is a whole nother can of worms. I really don't want to open, but we are on like the deep end of the, the final stage of Twitter and Mastodon and whatever you just listed. Thre Threads is interesting. I haven't made an account. I see a lot of the Bengals writers are making one. So I, I might make one anyway, but yeah, don't, you know, don't, don't worry about all that. Just, just join us on subtext. Join us, you know, that subtext is, you know, what, service we used to run Cincinnati Football Insider. Just just join us on there. Like seriously, it's easy. Just just text us at this number. It's 513-949-4147. Say it again. 9 uh, 513. Say that one more time. 513-949-4147. Okay, so I am going to pull up this Bengals fan story that I'm going to read to you all. We read Sean Tyler from Fordham, Cambridgeshire, England yesterday. We are going to read Shaquille Miller from Rutherfordton, North Carolina. And I will say this, Shaquille, he's probably listening to this podcast. He is like one of the funniest, most responsive people on our subtext service out of many of our subscribers. He, he's definitely up there. And honestly, Andrew, I mean, we have a lot of time in the offseason. We might have to get him on this podcast. And his, his story is very short, sweet, and simple to the point, but, you know, Sometimes less is more, and this really is sticking out to me. So here we go. I was a big Terrell Owens fan, and I knew his time was coming to an end. So I told myself, the last team he plays for, I'm going to pull through for them. And it so happened to Ben, the Bengals, been with them through the storm. And now we are climbing the ladder for sure. All caps. Who day? We day. Orange heart, black heart. Orange heart, black heart. Tiger emoji, tiger emoji, tiger emoji. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, I, I like the Shaquille, if you're listening to this, I like the touch you put at the end with the hearts and the Bengal uh, emoji, because uh, for those who don't know, when he usually responds to our text messages, because this, this is part of why, by the way, Cincinnati football insider is so cool. You can text us back and we'll answer you. So if we say something 
and you have a question, we answer you on the dot. Don't think that we just text and we don't see it. Unlike people on Twitter who don't respond to you. No, no, this is not Twitter where your reply gets left unread. We will actually reply to you and we'll reply to you on the spot. So here's the funny thing about the, the Terrell Owens uh, point that he made. So, of course, for those who don't know, Terrell Owens' last official year in the NFL was in 2010 when he played with the Bengals, which was also Carson Palmer's last year, which was also Chad Ochocinco's last year because Palmer had the falling out and got traded later that offseason. Uh, Ochocinco went to New England, played with Tom Brady for a year, played in the Super Bowl. And then, yeah, Owens, I think he went to, well, so he went to Seattle, was on their practice squad. I don't think he made the team. Uh, played in some indoor league. I think is he still? Still does he play? Does he still play indoor football, Andrew? I have. I could not tell you. I oh, have so no he plays yet. for he plays for the Knights of Deegan for the fan controlled football indoor league. Um, but yeah, he was with the Allen Wranglers after he left Cincinnati, and then he was with the Seahawks as practice squad and got cut. Which you know that was the official end of the end. But yeah, he played in uh, Buffalo before that. He had his time in Dallas. That's my quarterback. Uh, he played the Super Bowl in Philly. And then, of course, he had a lot of popcorn in San Francisco. So the guy's career is interesting. I mean, I st- you know, I still can't believe, by the way, that he didn't go to his Hall of Fame induction. Like, that actually still blows my mind. Like, can you actually still believe that he did that? Well, I know. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Uh, I I can't believe it. Um, you know, one one of the things that I know, um, you know, that he was he was upset. And look, he his issues off the field, like his his off field antics, whatever you want to say, yeah, that that kept him out of the Hall of Fame for uh, it was like two or three or four years or however long he had to sit out. He should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer. He was. One of the best receivers of our generation. Uh, he absolutely should have been in the Hall of Fame as soon as possible. But, uh, you know, people didn't want to vote for him and people chose not to vote for him. And, and that absolutely played a role. So he had a beef. He, he had beef and he had, I would have went. I mean, obviously I would have went. I think he, he should have went, but I'm not going to say that his grievances were unfounded. Like he, he had a right to be upset that he wasn't a first ballot Hall of Famer and then he had to wait a little bit because of his off-field antics. That to me that that's not anything, you know, it's not anything crazy like legally or anything. That's just, you know, who he was as a person off the field, which if you don't like him that's fine, but he was one of the best receivers ever. So, he should have went to the Hall of Fame ceremony in my opinion, but again, he was one of the best receivers to ever live. So, you know, for me I it, it was I remember thinking at the time as he was getting flamed for this, I was like, you know, he should have been in a few years ago. So, yeah, no, I mean, listen, like we all know about the popcorn. We all know about him running to the Dallas star. And was that him that did that? He went to the Dallas star and like, yeah, the football yeah, he, was playing in, he was playing in San Francisco and George Teague knocked the George crap Teague. out of him. Yeah. It was, the second, it was the second touchdown of the game. The first one he did it. No one did anything. The second time he did it, George he Teague got, tried to he take got his, his head ass handed. Yeah. Yes, we did that, and then, you know, there's the whole – I kind of joked about it a second ago. I was like, you know, he said uh, – I forget what the context was. We are talking about Tony Roman. He was like, that's my player. That's my quarterback. It was, was after, actually good um, it was after, I believe I, – I'm trying to think. It was. I, I, I was think, so young when it happened. I don't remember. Well, 
I, I, I think it, it was after, after um, I'm trying, I, I think it was after the Seahawks. No, it wasn't after the Seahawks because that was where Tony Romo from, from the snap. That might have been, um, that might have been when they lost, they lost to the Giants one. I forget, I forget what it was. Um, yeah, I forget, man. But man, that's it shows you how like young we are too. I mean, because like that would have been like what 2000s, no, 2008. It was 2008. Oh, so it was after their their first round playoff exit. It was when they lost to the Giants because that was the year the Giants won the the Super Bowl. That was one of the upsets the Giants had in the postseason before they got to the ultimate one in the Super Bowl against the Pats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like um, he. I think he just put the blame on himself versus blaming. Tony Romo. I don't remember how that game went, like detail for detail. I wasn't really, I mean, I was like nine years old. I wasn't into the NFL as much at that point. But yeah, I mean, you had, point is, you had all these moments. And then I think by the time he got to Cincinnati and Buffalo, like he just kind of chilled out. But I mean, like by the time he got to Buffalo and Cincinnati, he was like 35, 36 years old. But I wonder, I really, 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 I think about this a lot. And I know I'm probably six, but I really wonder. If you had Terrell Owens in 2005 with Rudy Johnson and Chad Ochocinco and Carson Palmer and Willie Anderson, what Andrew Whitworth came later, but Willie Anderson, you had all those guys and you had a pretty decent defense that won the AFC North. And again, I get it. Palmer tore his ACL. I understand history is history, but how good, I wonder how how good they could have been if he came to Cincinnati sooner. I really wonder that. Like when, you know, Exchange his prime from his time in Philly and Dallas and San Fran and put him in Cincinnati. I really wonder. That's a huge what if. Because by the time he got to Cincinnati, the Bengals were bad. Palmer was done. Ocho was done. Owens himself was done. It was like, imagine getting like the LA Lakers with their retirement home roster last year and bringing a football version of that. Like that's what the Bengals were in 2010. Like all those guys literally left the next year. And they reset with Andy Dalton and A.J. Green in the NFL draft. But speaking of which, you know, a few years before that, you had another guy who's not so happy with the Bengals right now. Not at all. That's uh, Corey Dillon, who is, uh, you know, this is the offseason where you don't really get news. But Corey Dillon is the news right now in the Bengals sphere. Bengals sphere, I guess is the right way to say it. Uh, He is not happy with Mike Brown. He was never really happy with him to begin with, as most Bengals fans know. He is not happy with the way the Bengals Ring of Honor voting is set up. And for those who don't know the details, you can read about that. That's a whole, whole nother can of worms that uh, Paul Daner Jr. of The Athletic wrote about, which is very interesting. But I wonder, though, how much of his anger is actually justified and how much of it is just him trying to pick a bone with Mike Brown. That's what I wonder. There is some truth to what he's saying. I do think the fan voting system for the ring of honor is kind of weird. I do think he's kind of right when he, you know, I'm verbatim quoting him when he said that it's a way for the management and like the ownership to not have to handpick the players themselves to be in the ring of honor. But I also wonder though, like, should you be at that point though, should you be mad at Mike Brown and Duke Tobin or should you be mad at the fans for not thinking you're popular? I mean, like, what do you think of that whole shebanger? I don't know if you even want to call it that. You know, I one of the things that I that I first thought of was, you know, when, when you look at Corey Dillon you, and you look at the the stats in franchise history, 
it's pretty clear he was the best running back in franchise history. One of the um, best in the NFL, absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, the Hall of Fame is one thing. I think that there's, you know, reasonable minds can disagree on that. Um, the the Ring of Honor, I mean, he, he should be in the Ring of Honor at some point. Um, you know, I it's what's the what is this the third year of the Ring of Honor? Um, and if they're going to do two yes, a year, yes. Corey Dillon's getting in either this year, next year, or the year after that. Like he will be in in the first five years that they have this Ring of Honor. So like, if his beef is that he should have been one of the first people in, I mean, maybe. But you know, I to me, it just I read that and I was like, all right, you know, maybe you can make a case that you should be in now, but also like, come on, he'll be in eventually. So. I don't know. It just, it, to me, it came off as a guy, you know, talking about, you know, where he kind of thinks he belongs and like kind of has some really good points about where he, where he thinks he belongs. But, you know, I, I, I look at this a little bit, like I just said with the T.O. thing, like he has a case. I wouldn't have said that if I were him, but I think he'll make the ring of honor at some point. I mean, he's, he was, I mean, you know, one of the better running backs in the league for a long time. Um, you know, he was, he's the franchise leader in rushing yards. Uh, th- to me that, um, you know, th- that, and that, that means he should be in the ring of honor at some point. So it'll happen. And he, he will, he will, and, and he deserves it. I mean, like I said, he, he should be in the pro football hall of fame too. And to be fair, he also said he was going to go after Robert Kraft and the Patriots too, because he should be in their hall of fame too. He's one of the best running backs they've had too. And he was only there for like what, two, three years before he retired. I mean, the year they won the Super Bowl uh, against Philly uh, in Jacksonville, I get it. It was the Tom Brady show. It's been the Tom Brady show in New England. But, like, you can't overlook the fact that he still had one of the best rushing seasons in New England history, not just under the Bill Belichick era. So he was fair. Like, I do respect that he was honest and that he's not just going after Mike Brown and the Bengals. But here's the thing. Look, this is the same guy who said in 2000, you know, before he, you know, was willing to sign a – at the time, it wasn't a lot of money, but at the time, it was like a million dollar, like $1.5 million franchise tender. He literally said, I'd rather flip burgers than sign the tender. Um, eventually, he came back and he got over his gripes and played a few more seasons in Cincinnati. But like he he has just never been happy with the manager. And again, I'm not going to rip into Mike Brown here, the Bengals management. That's not the, the focus here. The focus is just, I think it's so interesting that he just kind of said, yeah, I'm ready to go off today. (laughs) Like he just said, I got time today and uh, here we go. So um, gives us stuff to talk about. So I guess I can indirectly thank Corey Dillon for that. Um, (laughs) But no, uh, he he will get in, he'll get his time and he'll be like, wait, why was I mad again? Just like most of us, when we get mad over things that don't matter at the end, but we are not mad because we are on this podcast and we have a lot of fun and we're going to have some more fun on Friday when we talk about number 13 on our list. And that is Mr. Mike himself, Mike Hilton, Mike on the mic. I'll tell you why he's Mike on the mic, but Mike Hilton, number 13 on our list. We're going to talk about him when we return on Friday. But once again, for myself and Andrew, I'm on the mic. See you at the end of the week.